Good morning. We are happy to see everyone here today. It's time for us to begin our worship this morning, and we're uh, glad for everyone's presence today. If you are visiting with us, uh, we're especially uh, happy that you've come to visit with us and worship with us. We pray that uh, whatever we do here is in in accordance with God's word, and that if there is anything that you uh, witness or participate in or or experience here this morning that you do not feel is in accordance with God's word, you would be our friend if you would let us know that. Um, we'd be happy to def- try to defend, to defend what, what we do here on a regular basis. Um, we're happy for everyone's presence here. Uh, if you have not picked up a Rome journal, uh, they are on the table out there, and, and you can either uh, get one at this time or, or get one on your way out, uh, if you will. It has uh, a number of uh, pieces of information uh, on the back side here concerning uh, those who are ill, some activities that are coming up uh, in the short term. Uh, David will have a number of announcements at the end of the lesson, uh, so I'm not going to go into detail uh, there. Also, there's um, a statement, uh, I guess a preview of Chris's lesson on the front uh, side today. He'll be in, in Hebrews, the fifth and sixth chapters. And uh, in keeping with that, he said in class, he said, just so happens that all three lessons today the class this morning and this evening are on kind of the same topic. And before he said that, I'd already selected my uh, passage that I was going to read this morning, and it's on the same topic as well. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to read the first first two verses there. And it has to do with our responsibility uh, as Christians to um, practice that Christianity and to grow as Christians. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not able. Let's bow forward a prayer before we begin. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity this blessing that we have to come here on the first day of the week to spend time learning more about you and worshiping you, lifting up our voices in song and praise to your great glory and, and majesty. We pray, Father, that the things we do and that the songs that we sing will be from our hearts, that we will do everything we can to focus on that purpose for being here, and that's to worship you. We pray, Father, that uh, you be with us as we enter into our worship. As we say, we pray also that everything we do here will be in accordance with your will and in spirit and in truth. Later, Father, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we pray that each of us will do everything within our power to focus on the love that you had for us and the love that Jesus had for us in the fact that you were willing to give him up for our sins and that he was willing to undergo the suffering that he underwent on our behalf and the result of our ability to spend eternity with you. 
We pray, Father, that as we worship this morning, we will do everything we can to focus on you and our love for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 732. We praise thee, O God. 732. <clears throat> we praise thee, O God, for the Son of God, for Jesus, who Next hymn this morning, number 345, It Is Well With My Soul. After this hymn, Brother Jason Stevens will have our scripture reading and prayer.
Scripture reading this morning is Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about things above, not things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship. We pray that our worship today will be in truth and in spirit. Pray that you will be here, that you will uplift those who need it. We pray that you will comfort those who need it. We pray that you will be with those who are unable to be here today, Lord. Lord, we pray that you will 
Go with us, watch over us, and forgive us. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 300, I Will Sing of My Redeemer. We'll sing the first three verses. I will sing of my Redeemer and His wondrous love to Thee. On the purple cross He's suffered from the first to set me free. Sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer with His Many times in our life, um, we've uh, recalled things that, that we've seen and done, and I was thinking this morning and last night, too, about what, what I'd be speaking on, and I've changed my mind several times when I begin to uh, get a topic to speak on, but one of the things I wanted to say this morning, I've been driving a car for over 50 years, and some of you even longer than that. And uh, I learned that in, in many safety seminars and job safety meetings that there's a lot of things that distract us when we drive a car. Um, and you know what I'm talking about. And one of them is like our cell phones that we, we use a lot for everything in life. We use it 
for our clock, our calendar, reminders, meetings, and things. But, but one of the things I learned about cell phones that really I didn't think that much about is even though you have a call that's hands-free with, um, you know, your, your car might have the display where it talks to you and, and lets you talk, talk on a phone without looking at your phone or, or, or having it in your hand. Well, one of the things in safety meetings discussed was that you're distracted with that phone because in your conversation, it distracts what you're thinking about. You, you should be thinking about your driving and watching out for what you're doing and what the other person is doing with their car as they drive. But that was that, I say that this morning to remind us that this time that we have to remember Christ, we don't want distractions to bother us right now. We don't want to think about other things other than what, what Christ meant to us and what the suffering that he uh, endured because of us and the love that he had for us. And one of the verses I, I want to read this morning is found in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you pro proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we, we need to think about this morning, that Christ suffered terrible things because of the sins that he knew that the world would commit and had committed. And he, he did God's will when he, when he went to the cross and suffered these things for us. So this morning, as we prepare to think about the many things that Christ suffered in our behalf and prepare to take the bread which represents his broken body let's, let's go together in prayer right now our father in heaven as we think about Jesus and the many things that he endured and suffered because of our sins and because of the sins of the world we, we think about these things now and we know that there's no greater love that could ever be displayed than the love that Christ had for us. As we prepare to break this bread, which represents his broken body, we ask you to be with us in our hearts and minds at this time. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Also, another verse I'd like to read this morning is found in Isaiah 53, 5. Even before Christ was born, the uh, Old Testament had many passages about his coming to the world. And Isaiah 53, 5 says, 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our, our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Let's go to prayer one more time as we partake of the cup. Our Father in heaven, we think about our Lord and Savior Christ at this time and the blood that he shed for us. We know there, there was no other way that we could be forgiven than through the blood of Christ who was sinless as he lived in this world. We thank you once again, Lord, that, that you love us and that your son was willing to die for our sins, which we we do not deserve this love, but we are thankful, Lord, that you do love us and care for us. As we partake of this cup, we remember that this represents the blood of Christ, which was shed for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This concludes the, our remembrance of Christ at the Lord's Supper, but also I want to remind everyone that we have the uh, boxes in the back of the church for our offerings and that we are all blessed with, with many things in this life and we look at other people throughout the world and all the uh, turmoil and troubles that, that are all over at this time in the world and we, uh, we once again want to say that we are blessed and we thank, thank, we're thankful for the many blessings. So let's, let's pray for the offering uh, at this time. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you this morning for this church and, and what it means to, to your children, Lord, those that love you. We're, we're thankful for the many things you've blessed us with. We have we have all of our necessities in life supplied, Lord, by your hand, and we are thankful, Lord, that for everything that we have. We give you the, the glory and, and the credit for these things, Lord. We ask you to be with us throughout our, the rest of our service and make us a blessing to those around us. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 400, Living by Faith. <clears throat> Just at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. I care not today what the morrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know
Invitation hymn for this morning, number 369, Jesus the Loving Shepherd, 369, this time for the Chris. Good morning. Have you ever seen a Christmas carol at the movie? It's probably during this time of year. That's where most of our minds are going, uh, watching Christmas movies. If you've never seen it, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge is beset by three ghosts, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. The ghost of Christmas future is the one I kind of want you to focus in on for just a second right here at the beginning of our lesson. Because this particular ghost takes Ebenezer Scrooge into the future, and he shows him a possible future, uh, what his future is going to look like if he doesn't mend his ways. Today the Hebrew writer is going to show us a possible future of what our future might look like if we don't mend our ways. There are four warnings throughout the book of Hebrews, four warning passages uh, that the Hebrew writer stops in the middle of whatever he's saying. He's usually just uh, come off of this incredible topic um, where he, he wants us to dive into, to take advantage of what he's just said, but he's afraid. He's a little concerned, and in this text this morning, he's frustrated, and you're going to see that um, as we walk through this passage. But he's frustrated that we're not going to take advantage of what the Holy Spirit's offering to us. Last week, he talked to us, the Hebrew writer did, about Jesus' high priesthood, how it's like that of this Old Testament guy named Melchizedek. You may not know that much about Melchizedek. Join the club. Nobody knows that much about Melchizedek. Uh, he is a, 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 almost an anonymous figure in the Old Testament. He's only mentioned once in the book of Genesis. And we just don't know anything else about him. We'll talk about him more next week probably. And certainly in the coming weeks. But the Hebrew writer says Jesus' priesthood is like that of this guy Melchizedek. And he says, I want to tell you more about that. I want to tell you how Jesus' priesthood is like that of Melchizedek, but you're a little slow of hearing. Uh, today, we're going to start off in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Let's read through the end of the chapter, but 
our lesson today will encompass 5.11 through 6.12. And we need to see this passage through the lens of sluggishness. He's going to use that word twice. Once in 5.11 and once in 6.12. And I think he's using it as a bookend. So everything that he says here is because he's going to say in 5.11 that we're dull of hearing. That's the word for sluggish. Uh, he uses in 6.12. Same word. It's just translated two different ways here. But I think he wants us to see these two uh, words as bookends for this, this single concept that he's talking about. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, let's start in 5.11. About this, the high priesthood that Jesus has is like that of Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain. Well, why is it hard to explain because you don't have the adequate words, perhaps? Because it's a difficult concept, perhaps. No. The Hebrew writer has no problem explaining difficult concepts. He's going through some of them. Thanks to him, we know that Jesus is uh, Jesus as our high priest. We only know that thanks to the letter of Hebrews. No other book in the Bible talks about Jesus as our high priest, the intercessor for us, the one who... Uh, who Feels this role of the high priest. The Hebrews alone tells us that. And so it's not for lack of vocabulary. It's not for lack of intelligence. Certainly not. The Holy Spirit has written this treatise. And so these are not the problems. These are not the problems. These are not, this is not why he, it's hard to explain. Well, why is this difficult concept? Remember, Melchizedek is a little bit of an odd figure. And so anytime we bring up a new aspect of Jesus's mission toward us, it can be difficult to understand, but those are not the problems. Why is this hard to understand, hard to explain? Because you have become dull of hearing. You've read this verse before. I am positive of it. But have you ever stopped to think about what dull of hearing sounds like? Like, what is, what is that? What's it mean to be dull of hearing? And have you ever been dull of hearing? I bet you have. I bet you have. I, I certainly have. Have you ever ridden in an airplane? You know how the stewardess gets up and she says, uh, there are some safety protocols that we want to make you aware of. There's a flotation device underneath your seat. Here's how you buckle your seatbelt. You have, if you've sat through that more than once, been dull of hearing. <laughs> it's the mode that our minds go into when we hear things that are more than once are things that we're not all that interested in. If you're like me and you think this plane goes down, the flotation device underneath my seat's not going to help me any. So why are we telling, why are we talking about this? So my mind goes into autopilot and I just stop listening, right? I've become dull of hearing. That's what he's saying. That's, that's the, the meaning behind this word, dull of hearing. Your mind just goes into autopilot and you stop listening. Has your spouse or a friend ever talked to you about a subject that they're really interested in that you couldn't care less about or that's over your head? Um, this, uh, this last uh, weekend, uh, my mom was in the hospital and so I'm talking to neurosurgeons who are apparently are very, very smart. And they're using words that I just don't know the meaning of. And I'm trying very hard to listen, but I find my mind glazing over because they're talking so far above my head, I can't, I can't grab a hold of it. I became dull of hearing, right? 
We do it with things that are important. Yeah? That was a pretty big deal, but I couldn't, my mind just wouldn't focus for some reason. We do it during the announcements here in a little bit. No offense to David, but those announcements are hard, right? And your mind, because we do them all the time, your mind just kind of goes into autopilot. And how many times has he said something, or I said something, or somebody said something up here for the announcements, and you said, well, what did you say about that? You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? We've become dull of hearing. The Hebrew writer says, I've got an awful lot to explain to you about how Jesus' priesthood is like that of Melchizedek, and it's very, very important. And remember, this is a word of encouragement. He wants to encourage you, and so he's bringing in this topic about Jesus' priesthood being like that of Melchizedek in an effort to encourage us. He says, I can't do that because your minds are on autopilot. Why? Why would they be doing that? Why would their minds be on autopilot? Well, you remember, of course, that this book is, we think, written to Hebrew Christians. Christians who have come out of Judaism. And so their Jewish family and their Jewish friends and their Jewish communities have ostracized them. They have put distance between them and these Christians. In fact, if they owned businesses, their businesses would have suffered. Their relationships would have suffered. I don't know what it would have been like to be married to a Jewish woman and be a Jewish Christian, but I bet that marriage would have become very strained. Uh, I don't know what it would have been like to have a Jewish father and be a Jewish Christian while he was remaining in Judaism, but that relationship would have become very strained. Um, and so they are essentially turning their backs on Judaism. They have to, to follow Christ. They have to. And the Jewish people understand that, but they see that as a betrayal. How many of us would buddy up to Benedict Arnold, right? Nobody. How many of us would buddy up to Judas? We don't even name our kids Benedict anymore. It's a beautiful name, right? Uh, when was the last time you heard a Benedict kid or a Judas, a kid named Judas? We don't like betrayal. They don't either. And they see this as the worst possible betrayal. You are following this guy who said he was God. That's insane. He died. Why would you follow him? And the Christian raises his hand and says, because he didn't stay dead. We went to the tomb that Sunday morning and he was not there. In fact, there was an angel there and he said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then I saw him and I got to put my hands in the nail wounds and in the, in the spear wound. He's not dead anymore. And so why aren't you following him? It's kind of the conversation, how the conversation would go between these Jewish families. And so the heat is being turned up a lot on these Jewish Christians. And so when that happens, we're familiar with this thanks to our, our uh, pandemic going on right now. When that happens, discouragement sets in, right? Even the most exuberant among us uh, have been discouraged over this thing because it's lasted so long and they are in something that's lasting much, much longer and is much, much more severe. I think this letter is probably written to Christians about 40 years after Jesus has been crucified. And so these people have been dealing with this for a very long time. And discouragement has set in. And they've, they've, they've almost been forced 
into autopilot just to preserve themselves. You ever gone through so much grief and so much pain for so long that you just kind of become numb to it? I think that's what they're doing. I think they've, they've distanced themselves from this. And that's a problem because what they're distancing themselves from is Jesus. And that's dangerous, isn't it? And so they are distancing themselves because of this discouragement. There's, there's also, because they're people, some sin involved, isn't there? And so thanks to this, this twin beast, this two-headed beast of sin and discouragement, the people have grown dull of hearing. They've pulled back. They're not as hungry as they used to be for God's word. They're not as excited to come to worship anymore. They're not as excited about the promises that he's given them. They're pulling back. And the Hebrew writer says, I've got so many things I want to tell you, so many exciting things, so many things that would encourage you to the point that your heart would burst. But I can't tell you that stuff because your brain's on autopilot. You're not listening anymore. This is a tough passage. This is a passage of warning, and you're going to see that in just a second. Again, he's frustrated. The Holy Spirit is frustrated with these Christians. I think he might be frustrated with us, too, because we have become dull of hearing as well. Let's listen to what he has to say. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the world in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and from evil. He says, I expected to come back and find you guys teaching college level classes on the Bible, and I found you finger painting in a kindergarten chair. The word he uses here for uh, in, in verse. Uh, in verse 12, for the basic principles of the oracles of God, one of the words he uses there is he's going back and he's teaching them the ABCs. So the picture you should see when you read this, he expected to find them mature. He expected to find them teaching, <coughs> not just teaching, but teaching uh, the, 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 the deep things of Christ. He expected to find them teaching college-level Bible courses. They, not only were they not teaching, they were still learning the ABCs in kindergarten. And so he's frustrated with them. Uh, he, he gives this other great example. You're a toddler. You're a child, unskilled. How's he phrase it? But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. A couple of days ago, we were, my mom bought a house uh, here, just a couple houses down from ours. And we're, we're getting it ready and, and looking it over and all that kind of stuff. She's moving in soon, hopefully. Uh, and so we were over there a couple of days ago uh, cleaning up and, and changing a few things. And Titus has found uh, a battery on top of the mantle. It's one of those little lithium batteries. It's not one like the AA. It's a lithium battery, one of those little round ones. And uh, I have all the kids with me. It's just me and the kids and, and mom. And so you know what I did with that battery? I stuck it in my pocket. Why? 
because I've got Ethan with me, and if Ethan finds that battery, where's it going to go? Directly in his mouth, because <laughs> he doesn't know better, does he? That's what the Hebrew writer is saying about these people. He says, you guys ought to be teachers. You ought to, you ought to be able to sit through a class and say, hmm, I, 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 don't, I don't agree with what you said because it doesn't like with Scripture. Instead of doing that, you guys are just swallowing everything that comes in. All the teaching, you're, just, you're buying it, hook, line, and sinker. And some of it's a lure that's attached to a hook, and you're in trouble. He says, don't be like that. Grow up. Mature. You ought, to, you ought to be farther down the line than you are right now. You've been in Christ for how many years? And you're still learning the ABCs of Christianity? It's not good. It's dangerous, as a matter of fact. Not only is it not good, it's dangerous and deadly. Listen to what he says in 6, Hebrews 6, 1. Because of this, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. Now, hold on right there because he's about to go through the, some of these foundational principles. These are, this is not an exhaustive list, right? Um, and in fact, these are uh, pairings. So the, these first two, and he talks about um, a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. He's saying you turn away from dead works. Well, why are they so dead? Why are these works dead? Because they don't go anywhere. You may be doing good things, but they're not connected to Jesus, and so they don't matter. They're dead works. Because, like, what's your faith without works? It's dead. What's works without faith? It's dead. So you can be a good person. You may be the most moral person out there. But if you're not inside of Christ, all those works are dead. You're going to hell. There's destruction down that path. And he's trying to warn us, come back. See the, see the, 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 uh, the warning signs. Cliff approaching. You know, that's what he's trying to get us to see. So he says, you, <coughs> excuse me. We turn away from these dead works and we turn toward faith toward God. Uh, this trust in God. That's, that's been a favorite topic of our Hebrew writers so far. If you remember the wilderness generation, there wasn't any faith there, was there? They had seen all these incredible things. They had experienced all these incredible things. The plagues in Egypt, um, all ten of them. Uh, the crossing of the Red Sea, right? Him feeding them with manna and quail for a very long time. <laughs> uh, and then water from a rock, leading them by, by day by a pillar of cl a cloud and by night uh, by a pillar of fire. He has been in their presence every moment. And they Here, We ever do that? He's in our presence every single moment, but we miss him, don't we? Dull of hearing. We need this warning just as much as they did. And so he says, we're not laying again a foundation 
of repentance from dead works and, and of faith toward God, all those, those things are necessary. They're not sufficient. We're not, we need to go beyond those things. Of course we need them, but we have to, go, we have to move beyond them. Don't, these, this, is, this is kindergarten, spiritually speaking. Um, and so he's going to give two more pairings here. He says, and of, uh, and of instruction about washing and the laying on of hands. So this instruction about washing, it's got to be baptism. But he talks about washings in the plural form. And so what's he talking about? Hmm. I think he's probably saying that, because he's talking about multiple baptisms here, but we know that there's only one baptism. Thanks to Ephesians 4, he says there's one baptism, one Lord, one faith. One baptism, but this the Hebrew writer who knows that again, this is written by inspiration, right? So why is he talking about multiple baptisms? Well, I think he's probably talking about John's baptism. He's probably talking about the ritual cleansings, which were considered baptisms by the Jews, and how those things were inferior to Jesus's baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? So. These, these guys come out of Judaism, so they are very familiar with the ritual washings, the ritual baptisms, so to speak, um, that were supposed to spiritually cleanse Jewish people. They would have been familiar with John's baptism. John was a, um, a hero, a folk hero, um, <clears throat> maybe of the greatest proportions in Judaism. They would have been familiar with that, and they all bought into that, this idea of repentance. They got that that was necessary, right? So these things... Most Jewish people would have held on to them pretty tightly. They would have said, yeah, I see some significance in those things. Those things are special. And our Hebrew writer here, via the Holy Spirit, says, yeah, those things are special, but they're nothing in comparison to Jesus' baptism. And that's something a brand new Christian would struggle with, right? He says, you guys aren't new Christians, you're grown up in the faith. You ought to be teaching seminary level Bible classes, but you can't tell the difference between. Ritual washings in Judaism versus Jesus' baptism, which now saves you? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you see his frustration, right? He pairs this with the laying on of hands because in the first century, when you were baptized, it was very quickly that the, so the apostles laid their hands on you and you were imparted a miraculous spiritual gift. I think that's what's going on here at least. The next pairing is the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. Again, these are foundational principles, right? Will you be resurrected at the end of time? Yes. That's what a kindergartner, a brand new Christian, first day Christian would know. Are you going to be resurrected at the end of time? Yes, of course you're going to be resurrected at the end of time. Will there be an eternal judgment? Yes. Like, for us, we think, well, duh, there's going to be an eternal judgment. I think they would have said that, too. I think they would have been saying, well, we've moved past those things. And the Hebrew writer says, you haven't. You're still arguing about this stuff. You're still confused about this stuff. When you should have beyond it. And so he says, these things are, are necessary, but they're not sufficient. You see the difference? You have to have these things, but it's not where you should stop. So he says, you, sh- you guys should have been way beyond these things right now. But now I'm having to go back and teach you these things again because you put your brain on autopilot thanks to the sin and the discouragement that you've been experiencing over the last several years. And so he's trying to get them to wake up. This passage, Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 12, serves as an alarm clock for them just as much as it does for us. So he's trying to get them to wake up. 
In, in verse 3, he says, we're going to move past these things if God permits. If there's time. If there's time. We're going to move past these things. Tomorrow's not guaranteed to you, is it? Judgment may come before he can get to these things. And he's hoping that God will hold off, I suppose, until his people can wake up, until they can get their mind off autopilot. Verse 4, for it is impossible. Check this out. You know how many times the Hebrew writer says impossible? He says it three different times. Do you know when he says it? What he says it about? What's impossible? You may want to make notes of this. He says it's impossible for God to lie. Right? Uh, Let's see. Lost it in my notes. Uh, It's impossible for God to lie. Uh, It's impossible... Uh, to restore uh, the fallen from uh, the ones who have experienced Jesus, who have been saved. It's impossible to restore them again to salvation. I'll link the other ones on our Facebook page. Uh, My mind has gone blank right now. But when he says impossible, he means impossible. He doesn't mean that there's a small likelihood that it's going to happen. He means it's literally impossible, like it's impossible for God to lie. He says it's impossible... In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Who is that? Who is it impossible once they've fallen away to restore them again? Go back and look what he said. Because he's talking about you. Go back and look at what he says. For it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Enlightened by what? That the world is bad. That sin leads to destruction. That Jesus is the Savior. And that there's hope. Once you've been enlightened to that and walk away, there's, it's impossible to restore you back to faith. It's impossible to give you your salvation back again. What else? The people that have tasted the heavenly gift. What else could that possibly be other than salvation? Right? He's talking to the church. He's talking directly to them. This is, like we said earlier, probably the most caustic warning in all of Scripture, at least one of them. He's talking directly to the church. Uh, You have shared in the Holy Spirit. Who is given the Holy Spirit but the church, right? You don't get the Holy Spirit until you're baptized into Christ. At that point, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. It's not just a promise for the first century. It's a promise for us today, too. He doesn't give us the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit today, but He lives inside of us, and it's only inside of us. It's only inside of the baptized Christian that the Holy Spirit comes to live, that we share in the Holy Spirit. He's talking to us. And in verse 5, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God. If you've read this book and you've come away saying, God is good, that's what we've done. As a Christian, that is what you said, that God is good, sin is bad, and I want God. And I'm willing to give up everything to get them. 
He's talking to you and me. If we walk away from Christ after we've been baptized, after we've been saved, it is impossible to restore us again to repentance. Listen to what he says in verse 6. Since, because, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. He's talking about people, rephrase this, he's not talking about people that have made a moral lapse in judgment. That's not who he's talking about. He's not talking about those people. He's not talking about baptized believers who have made a moral lapse in judgment. Not them. He's not talking about baptized believers who have made a doctrinal error. It's possible to restore both of those people. He's talking to people who have spit in Jesus' face and said, I don't want any part of you. That's where the Hebrew Christians' sin and discouragement was leading them. It was shuffling them down the road. And if they did not wake up and start maturing, their sin and discouragement was going to lead them to a spot where they spit in Jesus' face and accused him of being guilty of sin so that the crucifixion was warranted. That's what the Hebrew writer is saying here. He's not talking about if you've made a moral lapse in judgment, if you've made a doctrinal error. He says those things can be forgiven. Those sins can be confessed and they can be forgiven and you can be right with God again. That's the truth of the gospel. But he's saying that the person who is so riddled with sin and with discouragement, if you allow that to stay in your heart and you don't start growing, these two are two sides of the same coin, you allow that to stay with you and you don't start growing, you will eventually get to the point where you spit in Jesus' face and say, your sacrifice means nothing to me, and I disassociate myself from you. Is that scary? If anything should wake us up, nothing he said yet should wake us up, that ought to wake us up, right? He's presenting the fires of hell in front of us, and saying, if you don't wake up, if you don't mend your ways, this is where you're going to be. All you have to do is wake up and go to Christmas future, right? This is a possible, this is a possible scenario. Listen to what he says in verse 7. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. What is going on? There's some Old Testament imagery here that we don't have uh, a lot of time to go through. I may have bitten off more than I could have chewed today, but he's, he's talking about a passage from Isaiah chapter 5, but it kind of translates to us as well. Rain falls on a crop. What do you expect the crop to do? Grow, right? Rain has fallen on this crop. What do you expect it to grow? Uh, do? You expect it to grow. Verse 8, he says, But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Fires of hell, right? If we hear the truth and we don't grow, hell will be our home. It's a warning, right? Harsh warning, meant to wake us up. 
He's screaming at us to wake up, to start growing, to leave these elemental foundational principles and move on to, to the deeper things of Christ, to kick your mind out of autopilot and to start focusing. Here's what he says in verse 9. Here's the ghost of Christmas future part, though. Though we speak in this way, he says, it sounded harsh. I know it sounded harsh. And apparently this guy doesn't like being harsh because this is one of the few warnings he gives in the book of Hebrews. It's a word of encouragement. He wants to encourage you. But you won't hear it because your mind's on autopilot. So he has to, he's resorted to, is forced to speak like this. And so he says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel of we, shall, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. He kind of says, though I've laid this out and though I've been harsh, I am sure that you will wake up, that you will kick your mind out of autopilot, you will start growing again, that you will get to where you ought to be. He says, I'm just certain of it. In verse 10, he says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work, and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. He's kind of saying, God's, God's not going to, to overlook the good things that you've done, how the, the, the mercies that you've shown the, the Christians in your area. And he says, you're still doing those things. Those things are good. God's not going to overlook those things. He's going to take those things into account. Verse 11, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, the same earnestness that you've shown in uh, caring for each other. <clears throat> He says, I want you to be just as dead set to have the full assurance of hope until the end. He says, I want you to be certain. 1 John 5, 13, John tells us that we can be certain of our salvation. The Hebrew writer says, I want you to be certain. Verse 12 says, so that you may not be, what's that? There's our word, sluggish. So you won't be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He says you can look towards some of these examples uh, in history, in the Jewish faith, like Moses and Abraham and David and even Samson. He's going to get to some of those in Hebrews chapter 11. You're going to be able to look towards some of those, certainly to some of those who have already died for their faith that the Hebrews are acquainted with. Uh, if, if I'm right, and the, the writing here is around 65, 67 AD, right before the destruction of Jerusalem, Peter has died. Paul has died. Almost all the apostles have already given their lives for Christ. He says, you can look to these guys and know that you're saved too. That you can imitate their faith and their patience, their trust and their patience as they wait to inherit the promises. Life looked dark and dreary for these Christians, didn't it? And the Hebrew writer doesn't have an encouraging word on that respect. He says it's going to get worse. Some of you have not withstood to bloodshed, and he says, yet. It's coming. So life looked dark and dreary for them. But he says God's going to be faithful. You stick with him, and you don't allow anything, sin, discouragement, whatever, to get in your way. Because that stuff only drags you down. And incidentally, it's dragging you down into the pits of hell. There's death. There's destruction. And so he gives us a warning. Wake up. Don't allow your mind to be on autopilot. Pay attention to what he's saying. God's got words of life and hope. But our minds don't want to hear them. 
because we become dull of hearing. And so he says, don't be sluggish. And he's trusting that they're going to wake up so that they can understand the rest of what he's going to say. Because in, in chapter 7, he's going to get into what he wanted to say earlier. Now that he's woken them up, he's going to teach them what he wanted to teach them about Jesus and Melchizedek, how they correlate. So that's coming. So he had to give this, this warning, this wake-up warning, so that they would listen. I hope you're listening today. I hope you've, you, you've heard the Spirit's warning, that your mind's not on autopilot like it is when the steward says, well, fashion your seatbelts, and there's a flotation. To, wake up! The words of life and hope being taught to us through the words of these Scriptures. And if we don't listen, condemnation is the only road that we will go down. Isn't that terrifying? Maybe this morning you're thinking about better things. You're certain that you want to be saved. The only way to do that is to get inside of Christ. To have your sins washed away to become his child. Isn't that an amazing offer? He offers it to you today. If you have this need, won't you come as we stand and sing?
morning. We have a few announcements to go with before we're dismissed. Uh, so all of you other dull of hearing, pay attention. Uh, Chris kind of threw you all under the bus. Um, our toy drive for Hoops for Children's Hospital at Cabell will continue through December 17th. Unwrapped gifts can be uh, dropped in the box in the old foyer area. Great news, Sarah Dempsey, Evan McAllister's girlfriend, was baptized yesterday afternoon. Uh, directory pictures, we will continue to take pictures for our new directory through this month. Stop by the conference room this morning following services. Um, our food pantry, uh, we've had a couple of large donations in the last couple weeks. Uh, Fairland High School donated over 1,000 cans um, last week, and the Roan Township trustees donated $1,000. Um, I placed that order at Food Fair and should be picking that up this week. So we are overflowing. So saying that, if you know someone in the area that needs food, um, we have a very well-stocked pantry back here. Um, send them this way and we'll take care of their needs. Uh, sympathy. We express our sympathy to Amber Swindler and family at the death of her mother, Terry. Visitation will be tomorrow at Halls from 4 to 5. Memorial service will follow at 5. Also, there will be a memorial service held on Friday evening, December 10th, for Greg Lawson. This is J.B. and Wanda's son, Susie, Susie's brother. Uh, this will be at the Main Street Church of Christ in Hurricane. And continue to remember all of those that have lost loved ones in your prayers recently. Ladies, the cookie exchange will be December 16th. More details to come. Uh, on our prayer list, remember Judy Gerald. She remains in Cabell with COVID. Uh, Debbie Harden, Chris's mother, suffered a stroke but is doing better. Uh, Kelly Williams has completed her radiation, and Roger and Diana Duncan remain in the hospital, both battling COVID. And remember Sue Powell in your prayers. She's been sick for uh, about a week now, and she's at her daughter's. Continue to keep Rusty, Kristen, Donna Hennig, Diane Foss, and so many others battling cancer and undergoing treatments this time in your prayers. Is there any other announcements that need to be made? If not, we have a closing song and a closing word of prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 611. Take the name of Jesus with you. We'll sing the first two verses, and then Brother Jeff Floyd will have her have prayer.
Let us pray together. Lord, we come to you and we thank you, Lord, for this worship this morning. And Lord, being able to fellowship together. Lord, we also thank you for the lesson and we pray that we will take this lesson and we'll use it in our lives. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us. We pray that you'll be with so many who are sick. We pray, Lord, for so many who have lost loved ones. And Lord, continue to be with our shut-ins. We pray, Lord, that you will just be with us throughout this week. We pray that you will help us. We pray that you'll be with our elders in the decisions that they have to make. Continue to be with us. Forgive us of our sins. In Christ's name we pray. And amen. Thank you. Noise in your that. Thank you.